This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield. I'm joined once again by our man David Hughes. How are you doing this week, mate? Our man, yeah. Nice. <laughs> Listen, you're fully in the building now, mate. Yeah, I am, yeah. Can't leave. Um, all good, mate, yeah. Looking forward to uh, another busy week. Glad that the uh, the internationals are done and dusted. Well, this is the big one. Mm. The international break is on at you know at, at the end, but uh, we're coming up to a, a really really big fixture. So grab yourselves a bottle of wine, run a bath, because we're going to spend an hour talking solely about Manchester United and crucially how bad they are. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it could be a no. fun one. This. It could be, yeah. Um, I'm being a little bit harsh there. Obviously, we're going to go a bit more in depth than that. But um, I think it's safe to say... I mean, we'll start initially on just general comments, on just general thoughts on them. I think from my perspective, this is... This is uh, possibly the worst situation I've, I've ever seen United in, mm. I think, at the minute, just in terms of the overall health of the club and the direction they're going in, the current situation, what they look like on the pitch, or, you know, all those aspects considered. Yeah, there doesn't seem to be just one issue. It doesn't seem to be that they are just underperforming on the pitch. It seems to be a bit of a rotten, a rotten core throughout. Really, um, you know, you've got we we obviously we do a lot a lot of um, writing for the MEN about Manchester United, and it's a very unhappy fan base at the moment. You can only tell by the reaction to some of the work that you do. Um, so you've got fans f- pulling in different directions. You've got the club with no real direction. You've got coaching staff who don't necessarily look as if they're frankly good enough to yeah, well, address that. Yeah, to be managing Manchester United. So it's very bizarre when you consider where they were ten years ago to now. It's uh, some fall from grace. Yeah, I mean, I think from my perspective, they seem to be. And maybe I'm just saying this because I'm a red. But they, they seem to have taken inspiration from Liverpool, I think. And they seem to be copying Liverpool in some areas, um, having seen us rise over the course of a number of years. But they're just, they're just doing so in a, in, a, in the wrong ways, um, which we'll address throughout the podcast. But mm. just, you know, an example at the minute is they're obviously suffering massively from injuries at the minute, which is one of the reasons I feel as though it's... A particularly bad moment for them in terms of results and performances. They just they haven't got certain key players. Um, but Liverpool also have a, a, a pretty small squad. We don't really have backups for Mane, Salah, Van Dijk, Allison. These are key players that we need. But I think the difference is Liverpool have got real, real fitness regimes in place at the club, and the head, the, you know the sports science department's really big, and Klopp himself's got got degrees in sports science and things like that, whereas uh, United and Solskjaer, they, they, they just, from an outsider looking in, seem to have a perspective of, you know, to, to get fitness levels up and to, to have a good pre-season. It's just about running mm. constantly and, and pressing. It's just about running and there's just a lot more to it than that. And the, you can't help wondering whether they, they consider those detailed analytical aspects be that, that go a little bit deeper. Mm. That for me, the, 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 the talking it's still kind of stuck in a time warp from maybe like two decades ago, where you know it's all about 
just hard work, grit, and you know, play you play your way out of things. And it's an interesting point you made there because you were saying about um, the running and and so on and the injuries. I think what I've noticed is because of that squad is so thin, which I think goes back to a pretty poor overall transfer window in the summer. They're, they're a lot more reliant on certain individuals, and I think that's causing these reoccurring issues in terms of injuries. Like Rashford, Rashford never seems to be fit. He seems to be fit for one or two games and then carrying some sort of knock that he has to play through because they haven't really got any options. <laughs> you look at Daniel James, who I think was a good sign and someone that we he was on our radar for a little while, wasn't he, before the move? Yeah. But, you know, he's playing virtually every minute of every game. He's actually said himself already that he didn't think he'd already be such a, no. a key figure in the team, but I don't think that's... I think it's partially due to how, how well he's played, because I think he's been one of their major threats, mm. but it's also just been a case of necessity. They've yeah. got nobody else to throw in. Yeah, exactly. And I think I think there could have been a balance between them still having this positive impact, but not overkill almost, because, you know, that initial burst onto the scene that he had was the first few weeks of the season where there's... He's dropped off a little bit, hasn't he, recently? Um, which isn't a criticism of him. I'm just saying he's playing a lot, a lot of uh, a lot of football at a much higher level. So, yeah, I think that's a big factor in the injuries. Yeah, they just, they just seem to me to be a team that are trying to re-establish an identity that was lost. Mm. Uh, but they're doing so without the right personnel. Yeah. Um, the, right, the right personnel in charge. Thy personnel, particularly on the pitch as well. Like, uh, you know, these are. Pro- I'm just reeling off some issues here that we're going to eventually address in the podcast, but they're just unable to break down defences, really. Yeah. Uh, the reliance on speed and space being available to them, and when it's not available and they've got to create it themselves, they just can't. Mm-hmm. Um, and the players, that are, the players that are injured as well are the players in the squad with standouts, unique traits that they can bring to a game mm. whereas all the players that have stayed fit are all the players that are kind of much of the same yeah on but, the cusp so to speak yeah, yeah they're all players that are relatively safe quite slow sideways players whereas you've got players like Martial uh, and Pogba and, and players of that nature who've got you know just different traits that they can introduce to a game and as a result will change yeah, the they, way you play individually. They've just got that elite factor about them. They? they mightn't do it all game, every game, but they, they can produce moments and I think that's the difference. They can produce high quality moments where the players they've got at the moment are, are decent, you know, doing okay. I've been, I thought, for example, McTominay's been doing all right for them. Um, yeah. But... Yeah, I know he's popped up with a couple of goals, but you can never imagine them just producing a pure moment of of greatness to win a game. And you just they're just lacking that at the moment. And two players that you flagged there, I think, are the biggest misses so far. Yeah, I mean, just on on those players being missing, those key players, it's, it's a bit reminiscent for me of of De Bruyne being missing for City at the minute, mm. simply because what I'm talking about regarding being able to bring your individual traits to a game, that can make a difference. City have got a team that's ridiculous, obviously, mm. but they've got no player in that team that's, that can provide that real crossing dynamic that mm. De Bruyne brings. Yeah. 
the way he's able to get the whip on that ball and it'd be so dangerous from a deep area. Yeah, from like the half spaces type area, yeah. Yeah, so if if you take him out of City's team, that is a dynamic that's lost. Mm. Whereas with United, they've obviously got a worse team as, it's, as it is anyway. And then you're taking those difference makers out the team and leaving them with very, very little. Um, hence why they're struggling at the minute. Um, it remains to be seen who will be available for Liverpool. I think he's already said Pogba and De Gea are out. Yeah. Um, Martial, I think, question mark. Bamasaka, question mark. From what I can gather, he's in line to feature, but that's such a vague term, isn't it? You don't know what that means. He's going to start, what what state he's going to be in uh, in terms of fitness. And I, I saw today that they may only be available to play 30 minutes. Yeah. Um, and Game. I think I think they've, they've both... They're both going to have one training session, I think, before actually possibly starting this match. Mm. And again, speaking from a Liverpool perspective, that's something that Klopp absolutely would not do. Mm. Hence the sports science background and things like that. He's he's really big on getting players fully back integrated. Yeah. I think they've got to do something like three training sessions fully without any kind of issues before they're back into the actual team. Mm. And again, Solskjaer, bit of a simplistic approach to it. Um, old school, bit mate. of an old school approach. Yeah, yeah. Are you, can can you play? Or like you're back in the team. Yeah, it's just a bit. It's just not those one percent. Those marginal gains we talk about. Mm. United just don't seem particularly focused on them. Um, but we'll go into a bit more detail anyway, and we'll start with just you know how have they became so bad? How have they? How have they reached this level? This low, you mean? This low, yeah. yeah. Um, from in the space of six years, really, because yeah. they won the league, I think, they won the league in Ferguson's last year, 2013, I think it was, yeah. 2013, 2014, maybe, something like that. Um, and they just do really seem to have gradually fell off a cliff. Mm. They've rolled down a cliff. Yeah. <laughs> um, Still rolling. So, yeah, just, you know, any general thoughts on, like, what has contributed to this downfall? That maybe Liverpool have done the opposite way, obviously, because we've 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 had a different trajectory altogether. Mm. It's difficult, I think. They've they've just really struggled for any sort of direction. I think um, you can say now with hindsight, you know, they put all their eggs in the Moyes basket, which was simply a mistake, wasn't it? Yeah, it was daft. But I think they also what if if we if we are comparing them to Liverpool, I think Liverpool foreseen where the game was going you know they saw the direction where it was going you know using analytics and and you know modern yeah modern yeah you know Ferguson's era it was made up mainly him kind of being head coach manager director of football overlooking recruitment doing everything because it was a simpler time you know football over the last five years has exploded and completely changed and Liverpool have you know, benefited from that through their own do- good doing. Um, United haven't, and it still feels like, you know, with that Moyes appointment, it felt like they were trying to do a, a another F- Ferguson type character of running everything. And it feels like they've kind of never really moved away from that. You know, when when era. that happened, I know it was a couple of years ago, but obviously, with with you being a blue, what did what did you think of that initial appointment? Did you? expect success or did you expect troubles? So I always remember maybe three or four years prior to it, somebody touting who I knew, who I knew touting Moyes for that job. And it just seemed 
ludicrous to me. It seemed a lazy comparison, to be honest. Yeah. It seemed like... But it's just Scottish Yeah, exactly, yeah. He's done his time in the league. I thought, no way. And he didn't... He didn't really do much more in those next four years for me to think he deserved it. And it, it's it's such a strange one. I don't want to stay on this too long because obviously it was a good few years ago, but he just didn't seem to have the credentials to take that position. And it also coincided with the point I've just made that the game was about to change to the point where you no longer have that sort of coach that overlooks everything. I think it was always destined to fail. Yeah. Um, I remember a lot of Evertonians were happy to see Moyes go because of how stale the re- regime had got. So bizarre, very bizarre. And I don't think, back to your point, I don't think they've recovered. They've tried other managers who are all very different. You know, you look at Van Gaal's type of football, you look at Mourinho as well. There's just too many different regimes, short space of time. Yeah, well that, that's what I've got written down. I think my main point, they really desperately need a director of football. Yeah or a technical director, or a sporting director, whatever you want to call a role, they just desperately need it. Uh, 17 clubs in the Premier League at the minute have that role, and United are one of three that don't. The other two, Newcastle United, speaks for itself, yeah. and Sheffield United, but I think they're actually quite well run, actually. But it, 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 It's just, it's mad considering the size of United, you know, the, the fairly recent history that they've got, they just seem unwilling or reluctant to actually explore this role. But, you know, employing David Moyes for, might have been 12 months, was it? Or no, something it wasn't like even that. that, yeah, it was about 10. Yeah. yeah. And I, th- I think, I mean, I looked into it. I wrote a piece recently, just just forwarded actually to liverpool.com. That'll be going up on Friday. Um. On sporting directors and, and, and that plug. kind of thing. <laughs> plug, yeah. <laughs> um, but, like, it's it's just mad how, how much United need that figure because it, Moyes, Van Gaal and Mourinho averaged about 21 months in charge. Mm. Um, each of those has a completely different philosophy on the game in terms of Mourinho more, appro- more approaching physical players Direct, a bit of a direct game. Short-term success. Short-term success, players that are ready immediately. Mm. Whereas Van Gaal, possession-based, yeah. nice players, daily blint, you know, players like that. Um, and then you've got David Moyes, who I'd say is a bit more direct in his game as well. Sign of Fellaini and, and players like that. Um, you know what, it, controversial it, just on that point, I actually think his sides play better football than both <laughs> of the other two. Yeah, possibly, yeah. yeah. I wouldn't argue against that. Just because he's perceived to be the opposite, isn't he? But um, that was just a sad point anyway. It's, yeah, I, I just know. think Woodward is kind of... Um, I mean, we'll discuss Woodward anyway, but I think I think United have tried to keep the Fergie theme without realising that Ferguson was completely unique in terms mm. of doing everything himself. Really unique. And they've allowed Moyes to do everything himself. Van Aal to do everything himself, Mourinho to do everything himself up until a certain point. And that's why now they have a squad that's that's suited to three different identities, really. Mm. They've had to completely clear it out. Mm. Um and that's why they're just they're just a mess. That the, the, their recruitment is they've had several different recruitment approaches over the course of a number of years, whereas if you compare it to Liverpool again, Liverpool 
since since Klopp's arrival, I've maybe had one failed signing, and that, that's yeah. that's Carius. Mm-hmm. And even Carius, we got for about six million, and we'll have got that back by now, I think, anyway, on lo- on loan deals that we've got for him. Mm. Um, and they also seem to sell players who aren't really required in the squad for big money, mainly yeah. to Bournemouth. Yeah, 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 yeah <laughs> but, definitely. Uh, just, just something I want to touch on, Ferguson. I don't want to spark any outrage, but it's a legitimate conversation we've had, haven't we? I've, I've asked you this before in the office. Yeah, if any United fans listen to this now, they're not, they're not going to be too Yeah, happy, cover your ears. Um, but I've said to you that I've neither. I've got a bit of a theory that I think if Ferguson was five years younger and stayed stuck around for another five years, I think he would have really struggled to adapt to this modern modern game that we have now football. And I, I mentioned, didn't I? I thought a few of the European away games near the end of his tenure, he, he struggled a little bit. Barcelona, I think his side was as good as, in some aspects at least, Barcelona's around that 09 to 010 era. And both those Champions League finals, they were well beaten. And I just wonder whether he, if other sides would have caught up to United, even if Ferguson was there, whether he would have had the power to adapt. Yeah, I mean, one of Ferguson's biggest strengths was just how adaptable he was. Yeah. He, he was very open to to new things. He, he, he seems to appoint a new assistant manager every mm. couple of years just to freshen things up. Yeah. He was really good at squad building, freshening the squad up every couple of years. But I do think that the game right now is is just totally different to, to what it was maybe nine years ago or so, in, in, in yeah. around 2010. Hence why... Pundits such as maybe the likes of Roy Keane and Graham Souness can provide an insight on the mental aspects of the game, but the actual the actual playing styles on the pitch and what the goals are and the intentions they're a little bit behind behind the times now, I think. And yeah. that's just because of how, how much the game has changed. You're totally right. And you also think that illustrates why it's so wrong to be trying to reignite this United of old. And I think the biggest issue with that is 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 potentially Solskjaer. You know, he, he every it seems every interview he always, he always wants to talk about the United way in the past and how it used to be and how getting back to those days. And I just think it's changed too much. Even in the summer, there was legitimate links, wasn't there, to bring Rio Ferdinand in as the director of football? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that Real. to me seems ludicrous. On what on what basis should he be the director of football at Manchester United? And I'll zero experience. Yeah. So you, 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 if if that would have happened, you got, you would have had Ferdinand in a role he'd had no experience mm. in, and Solskjaer in a role that his only experience would be winning the title with Mould. Yeah. And getting relegated with Cardiff, yeah. which is you know quite unbelievable considering that arguably the biggest club in the world, certainly commercially. And you got Mike Phelan as the assistant to add into that as well. Who? <laughs> yeah. Was he? He was in Australia with. Got, you know, not even I'm, sure, yeah. Yeah, but he got he got sacked by Hull as manager, didn't he? Um, yeah, that was it. And then, sorry, it was Coast Marine as he was the uh, the role of sporting director. You know, that was his experience over the past few years. And then he's the assistant manager at Manchester United as well. It's well, we have um, a bit of knowledge that he's a bit more than that, isn't he? Apparently, behind the scenes, apparently, Solskjaer's the motivator, mm. and feeling does. More of the tactical aspects than than you'd actually consider. Yeah, I mean, this is on the grapevine from people who are meant yeah, to be yeah, in the I know, suppose. but we'll we'll put the caveat in that we don't know for sure. This is secondhand information, but yeah, as Josh touched on, apparently Fiam does a lot of the tactics work and Solskjaer doesn't, which again just seems ludicrous, doesn't it? Really, you just couldn't imagine. Yeah, just you know, 
I mean, United's recruitment as well. Go back to it. They, 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 they went through a period where they recruited players with that are just that were like a bad age. They were over the hill in terms of their age, bad personalities. You know, the, the personalities that weren't really going to contribute much at all in the dressing room. Um, they completely destroyed their own re- the wage structure and, and things like that. Um, and in terms of how they scout. Compared to Liverpool, it's it's completely different. There's the worlds apart. Like Van Dijk, eh, Van Dijk. Well, Van Dijk <laughs> is an example, actually. Yeah, yeah Van, the way Klopp met, yeah. met Van Dijk beforehand. I know, he, I know Klopp convinced Mane beforehand as well over Pochettino. Um, and it's I've heard stories of um, Michael Edwards, kind of like. Almost lingering around potential signs just to this get isn't a, just accusations to, of tapping up, is it, Josh? No, no, no. <laughs> this, this is accusations of character profile. Yeah, just no, lingering yeah. around potential signs to see how they behave, which is mm. it sounds mad. No, no, yeah. But these are the lengths that Liverpool go to, and like Liverpool, personality profiles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Liverpool are obviously very data focused as well. And I, you know, I've read a piece, I've read a piece recently, and I feel like it was one of them pushed into the media by United to come across as impressive and mm. I, I couldn't get my head around it because it's it's said it, it talked about how they got onto Wamba Saka they needed a right back and all this and it said they had a database of 804 right backs apparently um, across 32 countries using 30 scouts which from my perspective knowing a bit about recruitment is total nonsense mm. even if that's true List those 32 countries to me there and how many of them are actually going to have translatable quality to come yeah. to a Premier League club mm. wanting to win titles. Yeah, There's no point in scouting. Well, obviously there is, but there's, there's no real point having a look at right-backs from, I don't know. The, Ukrainian the, Yeah, there's, there's just no point, is there? No. But it's, it's just numbers that... Like, I, I could go on I could go on scout right now and go on the search and click right backs and it'll come up 8,000 right backs it'll be a database of right backs but I'm not going to use them I'm going to very very quickly whittle them down to players that are actually going to be vaguely suitable it just feels like United is just very old school and but you know what I really like about that point you just made there which can just just a hammer it home for people who are listening so as you said there you could go on scout now and you could look at right backs and you could probably put a little bit of a data data um, search in there is the kind, the kind of quality that you, you want. That would take you, what, maybe five minutes? Yeah. These have compiled scout reports of, what was the figure, 8,000 or something? 804 right-backs, but I sort of I sort of think saying they've got something like 36,000 scouting reports or something like that in their database, so which how, again is... Yeah, how long has that taken to prepare? 30, how many man-hours, how much travelling... Etc. Is it taken to prepare that when you could simply do yeah. the exact same and, in five minutes? And, and out of all that as well, they've ended up signing three lads from the Premier League. Yeah, so yeah. it's <laughs> it's it's just it, it doesn't tie up with me. It doesn't no. add up. And it, it, they've made out that like all this quantity is great, and it's going to make them look good. But for me, there's a level of inefficiency there. Definitely. That Liverpool don't do. Liverpool yeah. are really super efficient in how they operate. Mm. And United just seem the opposite at the minute, but they've, they've portrayed that they, they go the extra mile with all this all this scouting. I'd say one thing that is interesting, seems to be pretty negative over the moment, is that I saw Ralph Rannick, who's 
is being linked as the director of football role there at United. Hopefully he doesn't get it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> From definitely. a Liverpool perspective, at least. But yeah. I, do, I do think if he did do the club a, a good, a great deal. Um, yeah. I mean, do we need to even point out who he is? Because wax lyrical, don't we? About the yeah. uh, the Red well, Bull well, brand. But yeah, obviously I mean, he's, he was... he's the guy overseeing the Red Bull brand, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he's employed by Red Bull to kind of keep the identity in in all those clubs, I suppose. But yeah, he would be a good. He'd be a great move for United. But that, that that takes us on anyway to you know the. The, diff, the general differences between Michael Edwards and Ed Woodward. Because mm-hmm. um, the world's apart for me. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they've, they've strictly not got the same role. Mm. But I suppose they're kind of, at the minute at least, doing the same things for well, their The way clubs. United works, he does he does the role the same role, doesn't he, as Edwards, really? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, but, you know, I mean, Edwards has a club background for a start. He's, he's worked as an analyst at Portsmouth. He's worked as an analyst at Spurs before he was brought over to Liverpool by Damien Camoli. And, he's you know, he's, he's big on the whole data-driven decisions thing, um, making informed, well-advised decisions using data rather than kind of going with the gut or rather than going on what used to work 10 years ago yeah. kind of thing. Um and I just I just think he's he's the type of director of football that you need in the modern game because he's he's really willing to embrace what is new. Basically, he's he's, he's willing to like when Liverpool appointed that throwing coach, it was deemed as it was baffling to a lot of people. But no, it was it was a it was a wet dream for clickbait articles, <laughs> wasn't it? it Which, was, yeah. yeah. But uh, I, I just think he's. I mean. Last week, for example, we we was at the Stats Bomb conference in the, in London. That that conference was was called strictly called Innovation in Football Conference, and it was all you know people creating their own models and presenting new things that they were discovering in the game. The head of sports science from Ajax was there, head of game analysis from PSG was there, and Michael Edwards was there. Mm, yeah, Cru- which we didn't know, sadly. <laughs> yeah, he was crucially not given. A presentation or anything like that. It was he was there as a as we were to to gain insights to to see what people were promoting, and that's something you'd you'd never see with Ed Woodward, for example. No. Um, and it, I think it just offers an insight into the man and what what he's trying to do at Liverpool. How open he is to what's new, new ideas. Um, whereas Woodward just seems to he seems to want to point for me. Or up, up to now, at least, he might have um, got rid of this whole ideology. But he seems to have wanted to appoint another Ferguson, mm. another, you know, dictator, if you like, who's going to do everything. Yeah. Like uh, a Van Aal who's going to do everything, or a Mourinho who's going to do everything, and, and they haven't been able to, and it hasn't mm. worked. Do you think it's? Do you think it's difficult to? Do you think? Let me reword this. Would he admit? maybe in just a dark room with two other people in there that he trusted, that he doesn't want to be in this kind of... He doesn't want a hands-on approach to the football side of things and he's just looking for that person to come in and take it take it all over or do you think he does enjoy the enjoy the power? I think he I think he enjoys the power, yeah. Um, because I, I, I'm aware that there's there's been talk of a, of a sporting director at United since around the time Ferguson left. Mm. But for whatever reason, just beating around the bush, not really... I mean, just go and get Stuart Webber, 
from from Norwich mm, yeah. or you know Somewhere dealing with Dan Ashworth who's who's at Brighton. Yeah, but they just seem to be he, he, even the type of person he, they've been linked with seems to be a person that would would, would still have authority over, such yeah, as a, a Ferdinand or a Fletcher. It's like they want someone to come in but, but fall in line. Yeah, you, you know. Yeah, rather than someone to come in and actually teach teach Woodward some things. Yeah, about how to how to build a squad, how to run run the football inside of a club. Mm. Um. So yeah, just again, total opposite to Liverpool really in terms of how to run at the minute. Yeah, well, I mean, one thing I did want to touch on that because it's something that I think we went hint on. Justin, I think for me as well, Woodward is is so focused on the on the quick wins in terms of revenue, isn't he? And I yeah, think, he's got a commercial mindset. Yeah, and I don't get me wrong. I think FSG have as well, but I think they have just been so much smarter and played a longer game in terms of their success. So, you know, I think they do run the club well, but they don't go in and, for example, and just although Liverpool spent money, it's money that they've normally brought in. Yeah, that's it's, it's economic, economic, I think, is yeah, the word that's, for that's it. The, yeah, um, that's the best term to describe some, it. Some fans will have a problem with that as well. Some some Reds, Liverpool fans will have a problem with that, the fact that they only really spend what they bring in, which I understand to an extent, but if you can do that the way Liverpool have done it, fine, Maybe. keep keep doing it. If, if, if you can sign and sell to the extent Liverpool have and you still have a, a positive net spend or whatever... That's great. For me, that- it is hands down the perfect model. People people see the Man City, Chelsea type thing where someone comes in, yeah. blows a load of money and yeah. buys success and thinks, you know, that's what we all want. But it isn't sustainable and you're reliant on those owners sticking around, you know, and continuing to put that money in. Whereas I think Liverpool's model as it stands now is is the best. Point blank, it's the best. Um, whereas I think... I think Woodward's been a little bit more about trying to, you know, he'll buy a player with a good following on Instagram. Pogba probably the prime example. Okay, Pogba is an elite player, but I think if he was a bit of a plain Jane in terms of a character, I'm not sure he would have uh, parted with the money that he did. But I think you- one of the reasons I've kept him as well, again, is for the commercial aspect. Yeah. I mean, Pogba alone, the, the amount of followers Pogba got, mm. probably more than United as, yeah. as a club. Um, so... That, that that aspect that Woodward has, you know, when he's linked with a player, when a, a player's possibly suggested to the club by an agent rather than considering the suitability on the pitch, I think Woodward's been inclined to also place too much emphasis on maybe shit sales and, you know, things like that. that market well, shares. of the month as well. Like, I, I, they were very keen for Longstaff and they were as well. That wasn't paper talk. We we know that they, they did want him. And for me, right, I actually think Longstaff is looks to be a good player. Don't forget, we've only seen a small sample size, but I think he's stepped up to Premier League level quite well. Um, but is he is he so much better than McTominay, for example? Yeah, that's that was my perception on, on that link as well, yeah. It, it, I, but... They want to like part with what forty million to bring him potentially more. Um, well, that that takes us on anyway to to the next point, which is you know their recent recruitment mm. in the recent window because they do, they do seem to have it does seem to have hit home fairly recently that we have to start doing things differently. Yeah, and they've moved on to what seems to be 
<laughs> the Liverpool approach of around 2012, <laughs> um, 2011, which is for absolutely no reason prioritise English players. For, 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 again, for, I can't. There's no benefit to it really, mm. apart from homegrown statuses. Well, they might bring out the British, to be fair, mate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, obviously, yeah. Uh, but like, it's 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 just it's reminiscent of the time under Dagleish for me because we signed players such as Andy Carroll, Charlie Adam, God knows why, uh, Stuart Downing, play, Jordan Henderson was another one. But just play, we seem to just completely randomly really prioritise British players. They come at a cost as well. Mm. They might not be as good as what you can get in another market. Mm. But for whatever reason, you're inclined to ignore that and think, no, we're sticking with the English tried and tested in the league route. And I've seen them since linked with the likes of Callum Wilson, James Madison, sticking with that. Um, I think they've made a positive move in regard to prioritising young players. Yeah, definitely. Um, because one thing Liverpool have done really well with their recruitments, we've signed players, you know, that that have all all been in and around, say, twenty three to twenty five, mm. and those players have been able to mature together. They're now experiencing the peak together, and rather than declining together, you can then start selling them and 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 boosting. Like a conveyor belt, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like a conveyor belt. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, just you know, you got any, any general thoughts on on who United signed this summer and whether they were good moves or? Well, I thought as we touched on, Daniel James was a good move, um, but again, it goes back to something we said earl- earlier on in the show that you know I still they just have this. I feel like with Solskjaer at the moment and the way the club is, they see going back to this kind of class of ninety two era, you know, young British players. The United way, you know, they love telling telling that narrative about themselves, don't they? The United way, and I think that's what they want to try and build again. But I just don't think it works. You know, it's uh, I like the idea of the younger players, but I don't think it necessarily needs to be British players. Um, I think another thing as well mentioned earlier that I think the copy copy in Liverpool in some areas. I think this summer they seem to have adopted the Liverpool stance of. If our number one man isn't available, we're not going to get anyone. <sighs> but that's not what Liverpool did. No. It's really not. Um, Liverpool did that with Van Dijk. Completely different story. But when Liverpool couldn't get Mario Götze, for example, Götze, whatever you say, we went for Sadio Mane, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't think Gini Wijnaldum was a first choice. Mm. We signed Andy Robertson after failing to get Ben Chilwell. Mm. Um, so... We we've been we we've had that conveyor belt that yeah, list of targets. It's it's in Van Dyke's case, a bit different. You know, in Allison's in Allison's case, maybe a bit different. But those are complete world beaters to to almost act as the cherry on top of the cake. United sold a, a lot of their squad during the summer, and sold signed, a lot of goals as well. Yeah, and signed three players, mm. which I understand in terms of. Um, you know, not making any more any more mistakes. Yeah. But as as the top club in England, the biggest club, you um you have to plan better than that. Yeah. So that when the summer does come, you've got a fair amount of targets there that are going to be suitable enough to be to be worth signing. You can't just 
sign three and and have the stance of um, you know our number one man's not available. So when like Jaden Sancho for example, he might I'm sh- I'm sure they needed a player on the right on the right wing. Mm. They wanted Sancho, couldn't get him. And rather than signing an alternative, which they need anyway, they need attackers anyway. Mm. They took the stance of we'll, we'll wait a year then. Which, I, I, as I said, in Liverpool's early stages of development from the club, we didn't do. Yeah, I think you're spot on. I mean, obviously, they've been. I was going to come on to this a little bit later, but I'll just touch on it now while it's, while it's prominent. But, you know, last last season, Solskjaer played about, f- I think it was five or six different formations during his, his initial season in charge. You know, fluctuating between the ideas, trying to see what works, what gets good results. And one that they seemed to do really well on was having two up front with whether it be Lukaku, Rashford or Martial. This season, they've been stuck playing at 4-2-3-1 every, every single every match, game. Yeah, 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 I put that down myself, yeah. Every single game. And that's because they simply don't have the players to fill any other formations. You know, because of, as you've just said, this weird stubbornness to not buy or at least just have, say, I don't know, two or three players in position. You you talk about Liverpool. We saw, we got an insight to it, a little bit to it in the Man City Amazon documentary where they, they had, they were looking for players and, and they had Walker, but they had another two options underneath his name, you know, just... Yeah, yeah. That, that's kind of how... Almost how like a shadow squad, really. Yeah, a shadow squad. Yeah, that's a great term, yeah. Like a shadow squad. And yeah, they just, again, bizarre, bizarre. Can't yeah. really add much more to it. Strange, yeah. strange decisions. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. On the likes of Wan Bissaka, Harry Maguire, um, I think they, they, they fit the person profile and the character profile and things like that. But particularly in terms of Wan Bissaka, it's almost as though they'd. I've said this in a previous episode that that Solskjaer had almost asked for a player who's young, English, um, room to develop who can play on on the on the right kind of thing, mm. but not one who's going to be particularly influential in terms of moving over to this new attack and playing style. Mm. Wambasaka is a primarily defensive fullback. And the lads who was apparently, according to media reports, at least behind Juan Bissaka on the list was Max Adams, who's totally different. Still English. Yeah. Still a young fullback. Cheaper. But completely different type. Mm. Would, uh, but then, so, would you, do you think they fell victim of um, of the narrative around Juan Bissaka and that he was this kind of robust, you know, driving forwards? Wing back because that did that that got painted a lot. Of people a lot of people talk about his dribbling. He, he had some of the like really high progressive runs and dribbles last season, didn't he? So, I, th- I think any scout that looks at Wambasaka should be able to pick up on the fact that his his offensive game's not as developed as it maybe has to be at a top at a mm. top club like that. But I actually think he's not too bad getting driving with the ball. It's more just I don't think he can really do much with it in the fact. Like for example, Trent. It's unfair to compare the two because Trent's light years ahead of him. But, you know, Trent, you know, he gets into the final third and he'll have that final ball as well. That's what I mean. He's got that end product of his game, hasn't he? He's got that composure and 
he's got the tools at his disposal to, to have an influence on scoring situations, whereas Wan-Bissaka seems to be a bit... He seems to run out of ideas when he mm. approaches the final third. Even Harry Maguire, who was, you know, signed and he was compared to the likes of Van Dijk. Mm. But it, again, if you're playing an assertive, aggressive game, high defensive line, Maguire's slow. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's arguably oh, yeah. his biggest weakness. Yeah. So He's great in I, the air, isn't he? And he's... He's, he's, hmm, I don't know, he can be a bit, he can struggle a little bit against kind of fleet-footed attackers, but he, I think he's a very good defender, I must say, but yeah, you're totally right, he, he's not He's not fast, is he? No, I think, I, I wouldn't be surprised actually if Liverpool test test that, I'll move on to this later, but if, if Liverpool test that this weekend by doing what they did against Leicester, you know, with Mane and mm. Salah hanging off the shoulder, yeah, uh, because Lindelof, not particularly quick at no. all, Maguire, not quick. But they'll they'll have to play a high line if United intend mm. on pressing. Um, but we'll move on anyway to b- before we get into the analysis of the actual game. We'll move on to Solskjaer and Klopp. The, the differences between the two. Um, how long have you got? Yeah, I'd say, <laughs> how long have we got left? Um, so you know, just a, a general comparison from your perspective. You know. What are your thoughts? Because this <laughs> yeah, is I feel the, like the, I feel the, like you've the, stitched me up with that question there. Well, the, these are the two most successful clubs in in English history. Mm. The, there shouldn't be that much of a gap. No, but there is. Yeah, I, I just I, I simply can't compare them because obviously since since we've had this, which I'll reiterate, we don't know what's true. But since I've heard that he doesn't really deal with the tactical aspects of the game as well, I just wonder, you know, what 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 is his no, I, th- I, th- I think he will. He surely will. But I think it may be a case of him leaning on Mike Field more so Maybe. than I, Mourinho I, did. Mourinho would or, or Van Gaal certainly. And, yeah. you know. I just don't think he's he's a Manchester United quality manager. Point blank, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't think I need to speak about Klopp. I think Klopp is obviously he's he's so versed in the game. He's He's an extremely intelligent man. He, he's got great staff around him. He's just perfect in, the, in in his role at Liverpool. You know, he he, he gets the club as well. I think Solskjaer tries to replicate the past. Yeah, but I, I don't know if he sometimes tries to replicate the way, you know, the way Klopp just gets Liverpool, like the relationship he, he has with the club, the fans, and he, he knows how to get them all on side and, you know, get everyone pulling the right direction. I feel like Solskjaer is trying to replicate that in a United sense. Not obviously in the same mannerisms, but just the things he says and what he does, but he just can't. And then he's also lacking, I think, the tactical nous as well to go with it. So, I just... I mean, from, from a Liverpool perspective, I think Klopp's an absolute gem. I think mm. we're, we're very, very lucky to have Klopp. Yeah. Um, I think he's a pioneer in the tactical aspects of the game. Mm. One of... I think he's the best, the best coach in the world in terms of the pressing game. Yeah, um, no he doubt. was he was one of the first about you know it, certainly in at the top of Europe to really instill you know the the, the pressing certainly counter pressing and turning those situations into scoring situations rather than just pressing to regain the ball. Basically, an circulate. offensive tool, rather yeah, than using it as an offensive tool, yeah. Mm. Um, but you know. Amazingly, alongside that, he's got the the persona, he's yeah. got the charisma. Um, he, 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 from an opposition player perspective, if you if you you're linked with Liverpool, he, he's got that attraction. Yeah. Um, and I think 
that's proved crucial to Liverpool's rise because you know we can do all the data scouting we all the data scouting every every single day of the week, but you also need the players to join. Mm. And I think Klopp's been able to provide almost the face of the new era, mm. whereby he's able to entice new new signings mm. to join the club. Yeah, uh, he's he's just a natural leader that you you want to follow. Mm. Hence why we got Mane over over Pochettino and, and you know players like that Van Dijk wanted to join as he was linked with City at the time he was linked with all top European clubs at the time he's um, one of only two managers isn't he certainly in England I think you could maybe I don't know if you could find examples in Europe but he's one of two managers who plays one of goes to say oh, I work under Jürgen Klopp I think the other one's Pep as well yeah, um, yeah. but they're the, they're the only two examples I can think of really probably in, but would you say that's fair to say in Europe that they're the two that they yeah that they can you think of another manager that you think someone will go just no, because no, it's not really you know no I can't and obviously there's great managers in it, but yeah that's not that's yeah this is more of a but just about, to be about like, the order that they've yeah, got about them I think I just can't think of anyone else except those two managers no no I think I'm the same yeah and obviously I don't think anybody with no disrespect nobody's saying I want to go to Manchester United to play under Solskjaer. Well, again, if if you're comparing with Solskjaer, just just the way the pair speak, mm. I, I've seen. I can't watch Solskjaer in a in a press conference or in a pre-match interview or mm. whatever because he's he almost seems to doubt his own words. You can see his brain working as he's trying to think, and it, it's it's painful at times. Um, we seem really critical <laughs> on no, United here, but you know what? It's just, it's just honestly, it's, it's. Yeah. There's no bias here. I'd like to think if there was a Manchester United fan on the show now, like nothing would be adapted. It's, you know, one thing this show isn't. It's not about point scoring, is it? Like no, I know we no. we have a little bit of a joke, but the truth is, it isn't. It's not the type of pod you can go anywhere else on the internet and look out and listen for that stuff. It isn't point scoring against them. It's the idea is to try and give. Uh, analysis of a situation and sadly for United everything we've said so far is true yeah they are in in, in dire straits so just before we get into the analysis how has he got the job how was how Solskjaer in charge of this current operation how are, how are Liverpool about to face a team that were 40 to 1 at the start of the season to win the league mm. and I think they're currently if I'm not mistaken only about 51 to get relegated which is Insane, considering as odds. I said this. Well, <laughs> not bad odds. <laughs> <laughs> no, but considering this club, what they've been for my whole lifetime, at least, it's just it's mad. Yeah. Um, so, how how did Solskjaer actually get to the point where he he, he got this role? Because I think it is related to what we look at in this show in terms of underlying performance. Because yeah. we we could have predicted this before, and we I th- in fact I think we did. Yeah. Me, me myself and Chris. I'm not too I sure. It, yeah, I remember it was all talking about it. It's. Uh, Everybody saw it coming. I think the only thing is... I was listening to a pod on the way here today, mm. on our Manchester United podcast, kind of. It was a standard football podcast, but I had a Man United guest, and the guest was a fan of the club, and he, he said himself at the time he wanted Solskjaer to get the job. And there was plenty of, of journalists out there, high-profile journalists that were calling for it. Mm. Leo Ferdinand said live on BT, yeah. give him the contact now. I know. So... It was a common thing that people thought he should get the job. Yeah, well, I think I would I would actually say, and I'm looking at this not with the benefit of hindsight, I I would agree at the time 
he had at least done enough to see the season out and become a candidate for the full-time job. But I think what changed everything, first and foremost, just in case anybody who does know, but I feel like the the, the audience of this show probably would, but they were massively overperforming, weren't they? they were, the XG was just... Yeah. I haven't got the numbers, but they massively overperformed and they were... Their, ex- their XG suggested that they shouldn't have won as many as they did. Yeah, they were and fortunate. But, and it, normally, yeah, fortunate, yeah, yeah. It, wasn't, it wasn't high accuracy, was it, in terms of strikers. It was just seemed very fortunate that that they were overperforming the way they were. And obviously we know that quite often, maybe not on here, but uh, elsewhere, that results determine narratives, don't they? But I think the turning point which secured them the job was that PSG game. Yeah, even though they got... Well, I, I watched it, they dominated for large periods. Well, they, they had... PSG had just short of 73% of the ball. I think United won the XG on the night, but they obviously had a penalty, didn't they, which tipped it in their scales. But, you know, we we were listening to... Oh, his name his name evades me at the Stats 1 conference. Um, can you remember? Was it Tascana or something along those lines? Yeah, his first name was Adrian, I know that. Yeah, yeah. Adrian, Adrian. Tavares or something like yeah. that. And we, um, he was from PSG, one of the analysis of PSG, and he made it pretty clear without going into detail that they were dis- pretty disgusted with the performance in that second leg. <laughs> and they still were arguably the better team. But that that penalty that was debatable ended up putting them through and putting PSG out. And I think that changed the course of how things panned out for Solskjaer United. Um for me, I don't see why they didn't just wait until the end of the season before actually assessing the situation. But yeah, that seems to be a common perception that yeah, it's all gone from there. All come from gone from there, really, hasn't it? To yeah, I just, I, I just think, I, I, I think we should, we should always embrace what things that are new, and you know, things that are going to be difficult to perceive and things like that. But at, at the, the top. Job at United, you have to have a degree of experience there. Mm-hmm. I think you, 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 you can. I'm, I'm all for the likes of you know Norwich taking chances and Huddersfield taking chances with Bundesliga two coaches and Borussia Dortmund youth coaches mm-hmm. and, and people like that. But at United, there's just got to be a degree of experience there. And I think Solskjaer, okay, he's played for the club, but again, relegated with Cardiff and you know winning championships with Mould. It's just not the level that you you need to have performed at a higher level. We appointed Jurgen Klopp, obviously, who just won a Bundesliga mm. Champions League final with Borussia Dortmund, uh, DFB Cup as well in there somewhere, I think. Um, and he was, you know, what he was doing was groundbreaking in terms of instilling a pressing game. Mm. His character was clearly great. Yeah, had um, a proven track record of of developing kids. Um, his underlying performance numbers was, was superb. Mm. So, um, yeah, I, I just think United have appointed a man who's, who's unqualified, basically. He's, he's not qualified to fulfil a role, and I think... Certainly not a top-tier role, because United should be the pinnacle of your career, really, shouldn't it, as a, as a football manager? And it feels like if he, if he was gears, he's probably gone from first to second to fifth. Yeah, but, the, but they've appointed him, no. At the point where they've kind of realised... We're going around the houses too much. So it's like they've appointed now a man who's not qualified, but this is the man they're willing to give time to. So he could get beyond this current season. You know, we don't know. 
despite being limited, I think it's safe to say. It's a catch-22, and there's other clubs in the division who are like that, naming no names, where you're... Um, yeah, you you basically you don't want to become a you know a rotating door for managers, so you kind of want to stick out of regime. But sometimes you've got to consider it on its own merits and think you know is this person the manager to take us forward? And at some point, United have got to have that um, discussion between themselves. But then this is it. When we were talking before, if there was that that director of football in place. The, he would know the direction that he wants to go and you could determine whether Solskjaer is going to be the one to do it. But right now, they don't have that direction. and The, the decision makers there probably shouldn't be making decisions. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, so anyway, we, we, we'll yeah. park that and we'll actually move on to what can we expect? We'll analyse the actual game in comparison to Liverpool. So as I said, you know we're, we're going to analyse United for the whole podcast. So... Um, we'll start first and foremost with their XG, the attacking side of their game, because I think there's a there's a bit of a misconception out there regarding their XG because people seem can't seem to get their heads around why it's decent. Mm. Um, so you know we'll, we'll hopefully clear that up. United at the minute are fifth in the table for XG. Now people will obviously look at their attack throughout the season and think it's not it's nowhere near fifth in in, mm. in the league. Liverpool, for perspective, are second in the division. City are top, Chelsea are third, which seems fairly accurate. But then if you go on non-penalty XG, so you, if you remove penalties from the um, from the league, then United are 16th. 16th for non-penalty XG. Um, the 10th in the division for passes completed within an estimated 20 yards of goal. And as I've said, they, they generally just can't seem to break teams down particularly well. They seem to be reliant on counter-attacks and things like that to, to attack, um, which is why they thrived against Chelsea on the opening day. Chelsea are the only team that have really allowed them to do that mm. properly. Um, that's the only game all season that they've scored more than one goal in mm. so far. So I think it's safe to say that if Liverpool have to concede possession for a period and present the opportunity to United to say, OK, try and break us down, they won't. We've got no chance. But their threat is on the break, which which we'll get to eventually. But yeah, just I think United XG, you need to look a bit deeper than that to, to actually see that their attack is, at the minute at least, probably related to the injuries, one of the worst in the league. Yeah. Just on that point, you just said about if Liverpool wanted to say to them, you have the ball and break us down. They, they, they would struggle to, and I think they would, 100%. I haven't, I haven't looked into them virtually every day for the past however long. But um, do you think Liverpool will do that? Do you think Liverpool just think, well, we've got enough to blow them away even if they sit back? Uh, I'm not too sure, to be honest. In the past, Klopp's approach to big games was always, you know, we'll get them on the break. Mm. We, we were the transition team. Yeah. That's why we were heavily... We, that's why we, we went through a period where we couldn't beat low teams. But whenever we faced our Man City, we'd turn them to bits. Yeah. Gradually, we seem to have become a bit more imposing and we seem to have dominated a bit more of the ball. Yeah. Certainly until we get a lead, 
Uh, so I'd be surprised if we went there and just give United the ball like we did, like we used to. I think we'll try to. I think we'll play certainly the first half in a similar way to how we did at Stamford Bridge. Mm. Just try to dominate the game, build our own game, hopefully get the first goal, and then maybe put a bit of um, emphasis on them to break us down, which yeah. they obviously won't be able to do. Yeah, as I said, they're very much a counter-attacking team. Their XG per shot which, you know, offers an insight into how clear-cut their chances are on average, is below average in the league at the minute. Um, it's a bit influenced by penalties, so it's it's hard to actually actually get that definite. But they just, they just generally don't do particularly well in terms of creating clear-cut chances. But on the defensive side, expected goals against, they're actually really good. Yeah, they are, I think that's yeah. safe to say. Yeah. I uh, said to you, didn't I? I think defensively, they have they have improved, but I also wonder how much of that is related to potentially, you know, sides sitting a lot deeper and not creating a lot of chances against them because they know that they'll struggle to break them down and then try and hit them on the counter. Because the thing is, although they're not conceding a lot of goals, they still tend to concede. Yeah, um, um, just just to capture their actual defensive performance, because as I said, with the with the XG, the, their XG going forward, their attack, it's a bit warped. Mm. It's not it's not entirely true if you delve into it. But as I said, their ex- their expected goals against their defensive game does actually look really really good. Mm. Um, they're top of the league at the minute for expected goals against. They've been expected to concede. Um, only 6.18. Liverpool are second on 7.3. Leicester third on 9.5. Um, so, you know, that, that captures United's defensive performance. Um, the XG per shot against is, again, the league's best. So, the average shot that they face is the opposite, really, of clear-cut. Um, but you, as as Dave's just said, you you do have to tie that in with the fact that they've faced teams such as Newcastle, Wolves, Leicester, Crystal Palace. These are quite cautious, conservative teams, um, and they, they also haven't faced Liverpool yet, and they haven't faced City yet. Mm. Usually, when you face Liverpool or City, your numbers will take a hit. Yeah, they normally, skew, especially when the sample size is still less than yeah, ten it's only games. Eight, yeah, yeah, it's only eight games, isn't it? But and another stat on them as well: the uh, the passes completed twenty yards from your goal. United are joint. No, sorry, the third. So Liverpool and City are the joint best for that. They've only allowed twenty-seven passes to be completed inside twenty yards of goal. United the third on that with 33 passes, followed by Chelsea with 38. So, again, United's defensive performance, according to the numbers, does seem really, really good. But you have to tie that in with the fact that the face teams that are going to be not particularly threatening. and So it's it's difficult to judge so early, but they, they do look quite good defensively. And from a Liverpool perspective, if we do dominate the ball, they may actually be... Very, very, very difficult to break down. You yeah, know, it's I suppose we don't know actually, do we? We don't know if they, it, how good they will be in defence because they haven't been. This new defence hasn't been tested. Yeah, well, they're obviously missing. It, it remains to be seen whether Wan Bissaka is going to play. Mm. 
Um, Salah traditionally just seems to have poor matches at Old Trafford. Mm. He's struggling a little bit away from home by his standards, isn't he, this season? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, actually, actually Young in particular, whenever he seems to play left-back, seems to stick really, really tight to Salah, mm. to the extent that he forces him back, forces him to take bad first touches. Mm. So, he, he does tend to struggle, um, hence why our attack does tend to usually, well, not perform particularly well mm. at Old Trafford, really. Yeah. But you know, if it if we do struggle to break them down, according to the numbers at least, that could almost be predicted. These are at the minute. Again, you have to put in who they've played, but they do seem to have arguably the best defense in the league at the minute, which mm. is underlying numbers, yeah. which is shocking. And I, I looked at the hair as well. Just had a little a little look at the hair because obviously the hair is going to miss miss the match. I looked a little look at uh, Romero just to see whether. Whether he's an above average keeper or not, according to the numbers, Weiss Goggs have only got about 8,000 minutes on him, which is still yeah, a fair a, sample oh, yeah, size. Good, it's yeah. not a full career sample size, like, but 8,000 minutes. And I, th- I think he's, I think he, it was something along the lines of like being expected to concede 55, and he'd actually conceded about 45. It was along those lines. So, mm. again, I think he's the best backup in the, in the league for me. Mm. Romero. Yeah, that's a fair point, that, yeah. Um, but yeah, according to those numbers, at least, we're in for. A tricky game with the ball, just in terms of breaking down the opposing team. But have you any thoughts on what we can expect from United? Because you know, obviously, you mentioned that they've played four two three one every mm. every single match, for example. Yeah, I think yeah, they, they they were a pretty although they they were quite good against Chelsea. They were sound counter attacking time at various stages last uh, counter attacking side. Sorry, at various stages last season, but. That was really in that the two up top. You know, the key beneficiaries were obviously Rashford and Martial. They, they kind of built a pretty good partnership because, as we know, Rashford will make those runs in behind the defence or into the flanks where Martial's quite good on the ball. He's a good dribbler, so he can only expose the spaces. But the problem they've had this season is, you know, we, they haven't really got the same impact with just Rashford up there on his own. So... Even I think <laughs> I think well, the microphone <laughs> great stuff. Yeah, I think Rashford up against Van Dijk and is it was massive back. Do we know? He's back, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Allison's back as well. Yeah, worth noting. So I think that's going to add confidence as well to that back line in terms of Allison being that kind of sweeper keeper for want of a better term. But any balls over the top, I just fancy Van Dijk to get back. You know, I think he's got the pace to. I don't know if he's got the pace to necessarily match Rashford. Rashford might beat him in a in a leg race, but it'd be very. It wouldn't be in, in, by much, and not enough to certainly gain an advantage if he gets onto the end of the ball. So, I think that's all they've got. I'll be honest, Josh. I think that's they're gonna. I don't think they're gonna try and dominate the ball. I always remember talks that we had around the time. Uh, of the game in February, where United have got a United way of playing, and they they'll try and you know still dominate Liverpool I don't think they did and I don't think they'll I think they know this time around they won't be able to I think they'll sit back and try and hit on the counter struggle to and maybe convert a set piece which ironically they're pretty poor at as well <laughs> yeah yeah you test that you had a look at that this week didn't you yeah yeah um, but you know just a few generics on United they're averaging about 12.5 shots per match this season in the Premier League and the Europa League um, compared to 8.8 faced 
which obviously is a positive in a sense, but it's not to the extent that, you know, you're really dominating teams. Mm. Um, but the, it's worth noting though that they've lost their two most recent shot counts. Obviously massively impacted by injuries, but against Newcastle and against AZ Alkmaar in the Europa League, they lost the shot counts against both of those teams, even though they're both, well, quite poor quality, I think yeah, it's safe to say. Yeah. Yeah, don't hold back there, mate. We know what you want to say. <laughs> yeah, and just, you know, two other little notes that I picked up on looking at the numbers on United. They play very few long passes. Mm. Um, which team do you think in the league has played the most long balls so far? Well, it's obviously not going to be something obvious, is it? So, um, Most long balls. <laughs> no, I'll play the game. Is it Burnley, Josh? It's Liverpool. Burnley no, I'm not second. surprised that, you know, actually. Liverpool, yeah, but it, that's not because that not, doesn't mean Liverpool are a defensive. No, it's not hitting hopes, is it? No, no. Yeah. But it, it mixes up your game, though. It mixes yeah, I up agree, your build-up. Yeah. Uh, from an opposition perspective, it's difficult to predict. Yeah. But United have played the fewest, um, with the exception of Man City, which is interesting. But it's because Solskjaer wanted to bring in this ideology again of you know dominating the like a, a possession type um, philosophy, doesn't he? Of as, and it sounds contradictory. I've just said they won't do it on Sunday. I still don't think they will. But I could imagine him being like, "No, we pass the ball. We play this way." You know, rather than adapting but, the in-game tactics. But the thing is, what I would get from that is if they're trying to keep the ball on the floor as often as Man City are, while being nowhere near as good. Mm. Pressing opportunities from yeah. Liverpool's perspective, we can undoubtedly force them into an error. Definitely high up the field. Mm. Similar to how Arsenal did. I'm not sure if you watched that match at Old Trafford. Mm. Aubameyang's goal. Yeah, I did, yeah. Uh, so there's an opportunity there for me. It wouldn't surprise me at all if Liverpool score from a high press. United give the ball away. Um, and another note that I picked up on regarding United's game is they are the, the second highest presses in the division. In terms of PPDA at least. Second most frequent presses, sorry. So behind only Leicester. Um, which again, Leicester be sure and comes to Anfield the other week. Tried to press Liverpool high, so Liverpool put Mane and Salah on the shoulders and was like, if we bypass your press, we are in behind. Mm. So it wouldn't surprise me again to see something like that. Um, so I think that's pretty much going to round it up. Uh, we've covered a fair amount there on United, a little bit of a different type of podcast. Uh, it's what we usually do, but with it being such a big game, we thought it was going to be relevant. Mm. Um, so verdict... Um, Hang on, before we go through the verdict, what do we actually think Liverpool have to do to to win this game? Any thoughts on that? I think there's some genetics that Liverpool have to take care of to to put themselves in a good position to to come out with three points for me. What like what? Well, such as we've got we've clearly got to manage counter attacks. That's that's United's main threat for me. Yeah, I they're, just I just don't think they're going to be that threatening from them this this time around. You know, I think it'll be a bit of bread and butter for Liverpool. I think we have to, we'll have to test them in behind because obviously they've got a relatively slow back four considering how expansive they're, they're, they're at least trying to be. Um, and I think the fact that they're so so intense on playing this 4-2-3-1, Solskjaer tends to like to give some licence to the likes of Rashford and James to stay high up the field. Mm. I think there's maybe going to be a bit of space either side of the double pivot. Mm. 
where, you know, Trent can maybe roam into and put a few of them inside, inside right crosses into the box. Um, I would be, one thing I would say though, I, I would be conscious of getting sucked into putting too many crosses into the box against them. Because of Maguire's that? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I think, yeah, if, if, I don't mind those from from a better, like a De Bruyne angle, I think they could have more success. But if you're working to the byline and swinging balls in, I think that is going to be a pretty easy afternoon for them. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree on that. Um, I mean, I think one, one thing we could maybe exploit them with is set pieces. Yeah. Um. Obviously, if we find a way to kind of isolate Maguire away from the ball and we can land a set piece in and around Lindelof or maybe Dallow if he plays ahead of Wambasaka, depending yeah. on fitness. You know, I think that's an area that we clearly work on and I'm not sure they will, just yeah. considering how much they, how little incest they seem to have in the 1%. <laughs> yeah, great point. I'm just unsure they'll be working on that really thoroughly behind the scenes, whereas I think we will. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, uh, you know, we've talked about them before and we, I use Liverpool as an example of a United piece I did, about United improving from their set pieces. And I think the effort that Liverpool go into and don't even get the credit for did you see the, the the little thread I put on Twitter? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was basically. I'll keep this brief because we 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 uh, we are going on a little bit here. But it was a it was a, a thread from about it was three corners in about fifteen minutes in the Salzburg game, and I just can't remember seeing this. I'm sure it does happen, but Liverpool had three different corner takers in Trent, Milner, and Salah, and they put the delivery of the ball in three different places, which. And so many people batting that off as just uh, hitting hopes or just basically... No, that, won't, that won't be hitting hopes. No, I, I totally agree. It's... Uh, premeditated. Premeditated, yeah. And it is those 1%, 1%. And I think it could be an area that Liverpool can exploit because they don't seem to... It doesn't always seem to be... And it's part of what we talk about with Klopp kind of telling them, giving the players licence to do their own thing. It seems to be Liverpool players can be on the pitch and identify weaknesses as the game's going on. So it might not be something that they identify pre-kickoff, but as the game's going on, they could have three corners and then on the fourth, think we've noticed this on this. And between them, they could almost build a plan to, to try and execute a goal. Yeah, I think it's just it's just constantly being intent on mixing things up mm. and being unpredictable yeah. to for for the opposition. Mm. You know, we have just captured that then in, in terms of Liverpool's long passes and things like yeah. that. We'll go long, we'll go short, we'll have players running in behind you, we'll have Firmino coming the other way. Yeah. We'll have Andy Robertson running in behind you while Alexander Arnold's putting crosses in. We'll be directing set pieces to the near post, mm. the far post, with different takers, in swingers, out swingers, throwing coaches at, at the club. I think Liverpool are just really good at keeping things fresh. Mm. From an opposition perspective, we must be really difficult to predict yeah. and analyse. Mm. Um, so hopefully that'll bode well for us in the fixture. But mm. verdict, what do you think in terms of uh, scores? I think Liverpool will win, but I don't actually think it'll be the the hammering that some would expect. So I'd just like to mention one thing I have forgot to say is on United's performance, they have they've lost games obviously, but they haven't been beaten, no. truly beaten in no. any match. Surprisingly, all mm. their XG numbers 
XGXG against in certain matches. They're all really close matches. Yeah. The Newcastle game was close. So, the, some Liverpool fans are expecting like 3 4 nil, which might happen. But, as I said, United, as bad as they've been, they haven't really been truly, truly battered in any fix here. I think with a bit more fortune, they would have been high, in a higher position in the league, to be honest. Even that goal that they conceded in Newcastle was a 25-yard strike, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it'll be tight. I still fancy Liverpool just because I think they're too good. But I'll, I think I'll go Liverpool 2-0 up. United pull one back late on, but don't get anything out the game. And a nice nice Liverpool win for the, uh, the Reds coming back down the M62. I'm going to go with Liverpool... 1-0 possibly 2-0 if United overcome it late mm. on I can fancy us getting us, getting them on the break late on or something like yeah. that uh, but I don't I don't think it'll be I think we'll dominate but I'm not sure it'll be I'd like it to be but I'm not sure it'll be a real dominant scoreline like a 4-0 um, I just don't think that I don't think they're as bad as that the, their biggest issue for me at the minute is that they're toothless yeah. over everything else yeah just um, uh, just quickly because we've talked about the important we've in the, uh, as part of the Q and A, someone asked us about the toughest. I think it was the toughest teams Liverpool were placed, but we kind of moved on to toughest fixtures, and we flagged this fixture and Goodison as the probably yeah, the yeah. two oh, two toughest for Liverpool over the course of the season. So if Liverpool win this, where do you th- stand on the credentials for the rest of the season? If we one. if we win this, we'll have won two matches in a row there that we didn't win last season. Mm. We'll have beat Leicester at home, yeah, and we'll have beat United away. And I just think, I think this is the year. <laughs> I'm starting to <laughs> think. This, I, I'm starting way, yeah. to think this is the year. I just don't. But would you be more? Con- what, what if they didn't win on Sunday? Would you think? I don't know. Um, not really. No. Okay. On, I'm just trying to not, gauge no, how no, how, really, how no. big we think this fixture is. Bearing in mind we both, I, d- I do think it'll be tight and was... stuff, but I do think we should win. No, yeah, I wouldn't no, be I, disappointed. Yeah. If, I wouldn't take a draw this time. No, I'd I'd, I'd expect a win here. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we'll, we we will be back next week at the earlier day of Tuesday, um, with a break then happening until the following Thursday. But so any anyway, yeah. Th- thanks for tuning in, Dave. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Cheers. Thank Hopefully the Reds will pick up a win. Thanks. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.